Albert Einstein's status as one of the 20th century's most prominent physicists and intellectuals meant that people always wanted to know what he thought about a host of issues. For years, Einstein, who until the age of 50 rarely spoke about his spiritual or religious beliefs, was bombarded with questions about those topics. In response, he composed the short essay, What I Believe, in 1930. In it, he outlined some philosophical ideas about the world and our place in it and provided deep and moving reflections on why he believed we were all here. Strange is our situation here upon earth, he wrote. Each of us comes for a short visit, not knowing why, yet sometimes seeming to divine a purpose. From the standpoint of daily life, however, there is one thing we do know, that man is here for the sake of other men. Above all, for those upon whose smiles and well-being our own happiness depends, and also for the countless unknown souls with whose fate we are connected by a bond of sympathy. In other words, community is central to our existence. As the regular members of our audience know, Marcus and I have been in ongoing conversations with the members of the William C. Friday Fellowship, the Human Relations Leadership Team, and the members of the 2020-2022 Fellowship Class. As the flagship program of the Wild Acres Leadership Initiative, the Friday Fellowship is at its core a fellowship that is working to strengthen our sense of community. The current class of fellows who come from across the state of North Carolina had their first and initial convening as Friday Fellows in the fall of 2020. They recently came together for their second convening, and we wanted to take the time to hear about this important and ongoing work of community building. We'll be joined again by Dr. Meredith Doster, the lead faculty member of the Friday Fellowship team. How have the fellows come together across lines of difference? How has their sense of community and our shared humanity deepened? And even more importantly, what can our larger community learn from this ongoing process? Marcus and I look forward to having you join us today. Welcome to another episode of the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters. And I'm Marcus Harvey. And once again, it's great to be back here with all of you again here with you all in the audience. Marcus, uh, I, you know, you and I, uh, in the middle of this pandemic, we don't get a chance to see each other physically that much. But so it's really good to see you, too. I always have to begin these conversations just asking you, getting a quick update from your side of the world. How are you doing, brother? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm just emerging from... Um, just a grading marathon uh, <laughs> over the weekend. So um, yeah, it's nice to be it's nice to be on the on the other side of that. That was a it was, it was a harrowing experience, but um, I'm, I'm thankful that it's over. <laughs> yeah, and 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 these intense papers, I know that you uh, are known for signing and, and the writing process. You know, Marcus, I have to remind myself from time to time that as a oh, teacher, I'm known as, for this? yeah, yeah, you're known for this. Yes, <laughs> okay. right. I've I've heard, you have a reputation. Oh, right? okay. <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> All right. And, and based on what I know about the papers you assign, I'm not sure I'd want to uh, be uh, on the other end of that myself. So, but it's good to hear you coming out of this, uh, yeah. this grading experience, this grading hole. I mean, we are, I cannot believe Marcus, as we think about where we are and as we think about not only you and I, but our, the members of the audience as well. One of, one of the things we, we always want to start these shows out by doing is wishing everybody well, hoping that everyone is in good health in the middle of this uh this covid pandemic that we're in and i've got to tell you it's hard to believe that we have had an uh, a whole academic year um in the middle of this not being in person with students and so mm -hmm. it's it's been quite interesting to think about that yeah i mean absolutely and so i i you know i i really uh, cherish these opportunities to, to reconnect over the show uh, with you, with guests, and with our listeners to continue these these important conversations. Mm -hmm. Me too. And so, you know, um, I'm really appreciative, Marcus, as you, you, you know, in our private conversations, just for you all in the audience, so you know, Marcus and I see the feedback that you all are sending in. We get the emails. Uh, we really do appreciate uh, the feedback that you all give to us. We want to encourage you to continue to do that. Um, it's great to hear the stories about how some of these conversations are really kind of piquing your interest and in getting people to kind of think about things in a very different way. And, you know, Marcus, uh, we got one email this last time from a listener uh, that we have not heard from before. And I was really grateful for it, Mr. John English. And, you know, I just wanted to mention that. And, you know, he was very open about his engagement with these conversations and said that he was looking forward to going back to the archive and listening to some of the other shows. And he's a member of our community who's really thinking hard about where we are as a community, as a state and as a nation and where we're going to be going. Yeah. And, and that email, it, to me, is just evidence that the show is doing the work that we hope it to do that we wanted to do which is namely uh really you know inviting people to just pause mm -hmm. right to pause for a moment uh to sort of take inventory to survey their surroundings to reflect upon them to, to reflect um internally um and try to figure out you know what what's going on in the world and society uh, and what role they play in that right mm -hmm. and so, um, John, John English's email uh, to me is encouraging. You know, this is something that we should continue to do because these conversations are not only um, inviting people to engage; they're also challenging people to to think right. in, in in provocative ways that are potentially, I think, growth promoting. So, um, you know, I, I I look forward to hopefully receiving more emails right. like this. Yeah. So we, Marcus and I, both want to encourage you all in the audience to continue to give us your feedback and let us hear what you all are thinking because. Marcus, there's some things I learned from some of this engagement as well. I think that's one of the most powerful experiences about even the academic world is that you have said it before on a number of occasions that, you know, when we're in a in a classroom with students, um, we learn just as much from them as they're expecting to learn from us in many instances, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, so I, yeah, so I, you know, it, it's I, I think that same dynamic um, is is at play with respect to our our listening audience, right? When when they share how the show has impacted them, when they share, uh, like John English did, uh, the kinds of of of, um, of of responses and questions that our conversations elicit in them, uh, we learn from that, right? So so there really is a two way exchange uh, going on that that is exciting. 
to well, see you know, as, as we continue this work, one of the things, Marcus, you and I are really glad uh, and, and excited about is the ongoing partnership that we have with the William Friday Fellowship for Human Relations. And, you know, that fellowship is the flagship program of the Wild Acres Leadership Initiative. And the, the, the fellowship itself has existed for 25 years. This is this is a long track record. Um, and it is it is uh, named in honor of longtime UNC President uh, William Friday. And Bill Friday was one of my heroes. He was a man who was dedicated to, to community. He just had a spirit and a way about him. So it's it's great and an honor for me as a native North Carolinian to be uh, to be in partnership with with the fellowship. Um, and we have been talking about that on here on the radio show, on the show, um, and we've been in conversations with Dr. Meredith Doster. She's going to be joining us again in just a little while to talk about the ongoing work of the fellowship and, it, and the current class of fellows. Um, Mark, you the work of the Friday Fellowship really connects with our work really well here on the show, right? It's about as we've said, getting people to kind of open up and think about these larger, these larger questions about community. So you and I have been asking those questions for a while. You know, who are we? Who do we want to be? Uh, you know, I know that there's a lot of strife that exists in the world today. Um, and let me just say here, um, I had the opportunity to go back and listen to an interview, I think in 1995, that Bill Friday did with Charlie Rose. Um, the, the tables were kind of turned in this because this was on Bill Friday's uh, show, North Carolina People himself, but he allowed uh, Charlie Rose to kind of take the reins and interview him. And this is 1995. And what struck me about the conversation that they were having together was how it sounded so similar to especially the political climate that we're in today, just the, the, the rough and tumble nature of our politics. And so in a way, Marcus, I, you know, you and I have a reputation of kind of you being a bit more of the pessimist and me more of the optimist. As I listened to Bill Friday's um, interview, I thought about where we are now and I'm going, well, is Marcus going to finally pull me over into his camp when it comes to our <laughs> political culture here? You and Chris Cooper, you know, I've got to blame the both of you all for that. But, you know, I still want to, uh, uh, when I get, when we get emails like that, the one that we got from John English, you know, I'm again, my spirit is kind of buoyed to think, okay, Maybe, just maybe if we continue this work, we can move the needle in a direction that that really solidifies us more of a deeper sense of community. Yeah, well, I, I would say that, you know, the work of the Wild Acres Leadership Initiative, um, the work that Dr. Doster is doing um, <clears throat> around the, the William Friday Fellowship um, for Human Relations, around the, the, the building of community is 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 very important work. Uh, when I think about um, the particularly the early history um, of this country. Which I would argue, uh, you know, re reflects the fact that the country really was founded on exclusion, mm -hmm. right? It was founded upon a kind of um, foundation of exclusion, privilege, um, a mythology of racial superiority and power, mm -hmm. right? And, and these are these are ingredients that are not conducive to community in the sense that we've been discussing it on the show, and in the sense that I think the the, the William Friday Fellowship. Um, uh, uh, means this term. So, so yeah, I mean, this, this, I, I think that, you know, now is perhaps, um, um, uh, a better time 
than ever uh, for, than to, to, to be thinking in very intentional ways about what community means, particularly within the context of a society whose history is predicated upon uh, essentially the evisceration of community mm-hmm. uh, for the most part and a kind of um, uh, forging of a, of a, of a racial um, elite, of a mm-hmm. socioeconomic elite. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I think that the work that we do on the show and the work of the, the Friday Fellowship, particularly around community, um, has a kind of synergy right? Right. That, that I think is evident in the conversations that we have with, with, with Dr. Doster and, and other Friday Fellows. Right. One of the things I want to say before we just bring go ahead and bring uh, Dr. Doster Meredith into this conversation, rather than prolong it, is just to say this. One of the things I deeply appreciate about appreciate about the work that is happening in the in the William Friday Fellowship Human Relations is and it's an opportunity for us. We're here in Asheville in Western North Carolina, but this has given us an opportunity to hear stories of what is going on in communities across the state of North Carolina. Right. We talked with uh, uh, Dalton Dockery all the way out in the eastern part of North Carolina and the work that he's doing out there. We've got to have him back to talk about especially his experiences in rural North Carolina, uh, African-American family who has been close to a, the land, you know, for generations. And he had a real deep perspective about that. But it's great to hear about things that are going on uh, around the state. And so I marvel at how many good things there are happening in individual communities that if we don't take the time to kind of listen to the stories, bring the people together to talk about what they're doing, or even just take the time, as you said, Marcus, to pause and even look around us in our own individual in our own local community, we'll miss some of these really good things that are happening on the ground. But with that said, you know, I want to go ahead. We both want to go ahead and bring Dr. Meredith Doster. And, and for those of you who may be joining us in this conversation for the first time, we just want to remind you that she, that Meredith is the deputy director and lead faculty member for the Wild Acres Leadership Initiative and the William Friday Fellowship for Human Relations. So Meredith, thank you for joining us again. Thank you for being here. How are you? Thank you both. Oh, it's great to be with you again. I am doing well. Thank you. I feel like it's a tricky question these days to ask people how they are. And it's been a long year of of COVID calibration. Uh, And so I think um, life feels heavier and also lighter as spring arrives. You know, we're a a full year. I'm I'm very mindful that uh, many days I feel like I'm hitting an annual milestone of, oh, but this time last year we were also navigating the pandemic. So I'm just mindful that a full year has passed and so much has transpired in that year. And all that has unfolded and unraveled has not, of course, occurred equitably. And so it's just a, it's a rich season to sit deeply and also to be imagining ways forward in community. And it's always a gift um, to be with you both. Such a pleasure. So thank you for the invitation to join you in conversation this afternoon. Once again, I am chiming in from my home office in Mars Hill. (laughs) I haven't gone far. (laughs) I'm still here in my home office in Madison County. Um, But what a joy to be I'll say briefly, I mean, it has been a rich year of really digging deeply into this particular space. You know, my my uh, my early graduate work was in Appalachian studies, and I deeply appreciate the complexities of place and what it means to be in a community 
that measures belonging in a different way. And as you all were reflecting on, and Marcus, I appreciate your comments on just the, the realities of exclusion that are foundational to this country's birth. I have, I'm sitting here next to Bell Hook's beautiful treatise on belonging. And I'm curious about what it takes to move from practices of exclusion to practices of belonging. And that feels really alive in a rural community that likes to measure belonging by, you know, seven, eight, nine generations of, mm. of land ownership. Mm. You, you know, I, I do not qualify by that metric. Um, <laughs> and, and still, um, and there are so many complexities around that, but, uh, but it is good to be with you all um, this afternoon. Yeah, it's, it's, as always, Meredith, it's, it's such a pleasure to have you with us. And, uh, you know, you, you have uh, continued the work of the Friday Fellowship in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, uh, as I understand it, the second convening of the Friday Fellows has occurred. And so I'm just curious to hear from you. Uh, what was it like uh, to, to, to carry forth or to move ahead with um, and conduct the, this, this second convening in a situation where um, we're often forced to be apart from one another rather than together physically in community, right? Which is kind of seems to be the core of the of the fellowship's um, work. Yeah, I appreciate that question. And you've hit a couple of sort of key challenges squarely on the head, Marcus. Mm. You know, the Friday Fellowship is and has long been conceived as a residential experience where we ideally bring folks from all walks of life from across the state to one location to really have the time and the place at a start to, to sit in chairs with one another um, and just to, to really pause. I heard you lift up that word, Marcus, to pause mm. with one another, to listen deeply and to have opportunities to reflect about uh, commonalities and also just deep difference. And that work looks and feels differently in the context of a global pandemic. Um, mm. We are not able to offer a residential experience, nor are we really able to convene a group of 23 North Carolinians in person. And we weren't able to do that in seminar one. And, and we weren't able to, to bring the full group together in seminar two. But what I really want to, to highlight is that while we have had to shift our modality and we really um, modeled a hybrid convening style. So we were able to gather small groups of fellows in regional locations, much as we did in seminar one, to really, again, embrace the full footprint of North Carolina, to get folks off of the major highways and into smaller communities, mm -hmm. and to have an opportunity in pandemic appropriate ways for fellows to sit with one another, of course, at a six foot difference distance in a mask, <laughs> uh, but still to, to have that semblance of, mm -hmm. of in-person experience. Um, um, but but what I'd like to name is that while we have had to really obviously shift into online spaces, as has much of the world, I heard you both talking about your classroom experiences as well. The world is just much of the world is unfolding in a virtual environment. Hmm. But for me, as both an educator, as a scholar as a curriculum designer, I have been very intentional about not trying to create something that's a placeholder or a proxy for what could have been, but something that really stands up on its own right. Like, what does it mean to simply forge relationship? And it's not so simple, right? To, to forge relationship and build community in the context of a global pandemic in a space centering human difference that is also attentive to the constraints of virtual connection. And what I can say is that it is no, no easy task <laughs> and and um, and much like the 
rest of the world, I find that I am tired <laughs> and that the lift of seminar two is far heavier than the lift of seminar one because the fellows that we convened, their lives are heavier a year into a <laughs> pandemic than they were even six mm. months ago. And still, <laughs> what a joy to be journeying um, with great intention with 23 fellows from across the state. Just briefly, one of the questions that centered our convening, again, we're borrowing some of this methodology but only loosely from the fearless dialogues method and Greg Ellison's work at Emory. Mm -hmm. And certainly again, wanting to name Dr. Georgette Legister's role in that foundational work and their work centers of five questions sort of um, arc. And we began seminar one with the question, who are you? You know, people could spend lifetimes answering that question. Uh, Seminar two centered, why are you here? Or why am I here? And of course, in the context of a global pandemic, the very concept of gathering in a place here to me is an invitation to think deeply about place. And one of the quotes that we lifted up over the course of the weekend um, is a beautiful this sort of um, epithet or a word by Mark Nepo. He, he names, um, beneath every there is a here. And we used the concept of here and there and the, the just the complexities of place to think deeply about what it means to, to be and to gather and to convene in this extraordinary season. Well, you're listening to the Waters and Harvey Show on Blue Ridge Public Radio. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back in, in just a moment. Welcome back to the Waters and Harvey Show. Our guest today is Dr. Meredith Doster, lead faculty and deputy director of the William C. Friday Fellowship for Human Relations. Meredith is also, uh, also manages the Sounding Spirit Research Lab at Emory University. Center, the Center for Digital Scholarship. And Meredith is a, is a good friend, as everybody can see, of both mine and Marcus's, and it's great to always be in conversation. And we're talking about the most recent convening of the, of the Friday Fellows. This is the 2020 2022 class of fellows, 23 fellows from across the state of North Carolina. You know, I have had the opportunity to work with Meredith uh, on this project. It, it's just great to engage these fellows from across the state, people who, you know, I did not know before uh, this opportunity, only one, Kevin Rumley, who was a student at UNC Asheville and was one of my students. He's the only person in this cohort who I had any relationship with before uh, uh, joining this work with Meredith. But the stories, Marcus, I mean, the stories that I've heard um, are, are just powerful. And we've, we've been able to interview a few of the fellows so far. We'll do some more of that as we go along. And it's been great to get the audience's response from those stories um, uh, that that we've had with uh, some of the fellows so far. But Meredith, you know, you have a theme and you kind of answered this a little bit, a theme, a theme that kind of guides uh, the convening. So this was the second convening. Was there kind of a theme that was guiding this? I mean, I know that you kind of framed it around four ideas or four concepts of four words. Can you kind of share with us, you know, how you framed this second convening of fellows. Absolutely. I appreciate that question. So I'm really curious. There's a couple of things as both a scholar and educator that really just I'm curious about in this space. We're fortunate to have a two-year time frame to really delve deeply with 
with our fellows uh, into all number of things. And I'm trying to really pinpoint what makes a conversation a convening, what makes a real, what turns relationship mm-hmm. into fellowship, right? These are not neutral terms. And I'm just curious about what it means to do this work um, in community. And so I have pinpointed after having listened carefully to some of our uh, 200 plus fellows from across the state who have moved through the program or related programming over our 25 year history. And I've come up with this intersection of four qualities and those who know me well will certainly appreciate that here comes my alliterative move. Alliteration is one of my love languages. So get ready for the R's. Um, (laughs) Just feel yourself. I can do this game all day and the fellows will know that I have not let up yet. We're two seminars in and there's a whole alphabet to consider. But the four characteristics <laughs> to me that seem core to what we're trying to get at is it's it's the combination of rest, reflection, reckoning, and relationship. Mm. And those words are intentionally chosen. And, you know, we are a program commissioned by a retreat center and you could argue that retreat might want to be substituted for rest, but it's my truth and it doesn't need to be yours that like, I'm not sure what retreat looks like in this moment. It's certainly mm-hmm. not something that everyone can access. You know, what does it mean to retreat from a global pandemic? What kind of space and time do we need to, to retreat? And so rest feels a bit more manageable and a bit more um, in line with what the world is navigating right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, one of the things we kept bringing up, um, Darren and Marcus, um, you you weren't there with us, you know, I wanted the fellows to be thinking deeply. If if this is one of the foundations of this thing called fellowship that I believe we can only create together, rest, reflection, reckoning, and relationship, is there an order, right? Is there an order of these things? Does one of these things have to happen first? If you take one out, you know, does this thing called fellowship that we're really experimenting with, does it still exist? And those are rich questions that really resonate that will continue to take up for the remainder of the two, two year journey. Yeah. And and I'm thinking, Meredith, of the, those four themes you lifted up there, too, that really kind of smack me in the face right now. And those, and, that, and those two would be reckoning and relationship because they really remind me of uh, I guess I guess I guess you could say there are four questions that we have been uh, sort of tossing back and forth on the show. And those questions would be, uh, what is the work of community? Right. Mm-hmm. How do we go about strengthening community? And perhaps even more importantly than these two questions, uh, who are we and who do we wish to be? <laughs> and, and I'm thinking about those things, Trump, and I'm thinking about those four questions that we have, you know, been sort of um, toggling between on the show. And I'm wondering if any of these questions in relation to those themes um, have 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 played or have they played a a significant role in conversations that the fellows have had thus far either by way of framing uh conversations that you all have had perhaps have they have they shaped or influenced uh the kinds of conversations that, that, that the fellows have had thus far yeah, I appreciate that question. And it's 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 so true that there's rich synergy between your orienting themes and where the fellowship lands. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's one of the reasons that uh, Darren is such a wonderful dialogue partner to this fellowship class. And Marcus, we're, we're eager to um, lure you into one of our upcoming <laughs> seminar weekends. Um, everyone is very excited to meet you. Um, but, you know, the, the concept of the we, you know, who is the we in the room? We talk a lot about building, building a room in 10 
intentionally. And certainly in 23 fellows from across the state, we have a number of differences represented, both seen and unseen. But I don't know that I'm yet inviting the fellows to claim a we, right? I think it takes a certain kind of intention to recognize the fullness of, of who's in the room and also to keep recognizing who's not yet there so that you can be very clear about what we you're claiming. And that for me, that's a deep part of the teaching of the fellowship to gain clarity about what or who you might be speaking for on behalf of. And so one of the, there's a series of triads we gave the fellows to think about as they were playing with the concept of what kind of hear, the H-E-R-E they inhabit, but thinking with that concept of hearing their hear, what does it mean to really listen deeply to the to the spaces um, from which you live and the communities you inhabit? And one of that, one of those triads, so there's a series of triads I was just encouraging the fellows to play around with, yours, mine, ours being one triad. Self, story, system being another, to, with, or at being another. And I think I'm mindful that this concept of we is related to really deeply sitting with and reflecting on that which you claim, that which you, you know, accord to another, and that which you might ultimately choose to lean into together. There's a related pronoun that I'm always eager to get into that list because that's, to me, the work of the fellowship. It's not yours, mine, ours. It's really about getting to the them, to the theirs, right? It's yours, mine, our, but what about those that we really are not interested in engaging? That's the work. It's going back in that beautiful Akan tradition of Sankofa. It's going back for them, right? Those, that's, that's the work. And I think we're still two seminars in, we're building a container capable of recognizing who's present, who is not yet in the room so that uh, fellows can go home into their communities and transfer the work and translate this work of, of seeing and, and searching for the we and building a community that's capable mm-hmm. also of articulating sort of some of these dynamics um, across yeah, the state. So right. again, the work is not to stay in the fellowship space, but always to go Get back out. home. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, Meredith, you know, I know, I know Darren is going to get in there, but just to throw this out there, I, as I think about this idea of, of the we, um, I, I think part of what is so challenging about it is that, you know, we-ness, we-ness, if I can use this term, we-ness is really a political condition, isn't it? Mm, yeah. We-ness is a political condition. Uh, and, and inclusion is a political act. Mm. Right. So, so, so to include, because it, it, is an, it is an assertion of power. Right. And the question becomes, who has the power to include? Who has the power to assert weeness? Right. And so I, I think that, you know, you know, realities like that, um, realizations like that um, have room to make themselves known. Right. Mm-hmm. Within the space of, 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 of the work that you all do uh, with the with with the Friday Fellowship. So just just some food for thought to throw out there. Yeah, I took yeah. I I'm, I love taking notes while we have these conversations. So we get to come <laughs> back to them. So I wrote down, Marcus, weenus is an assertion of power. I'm going to sit with that. I'll circle back to that, Marcus. <laughs> yeah. You know, there, there has been, Meredith, let me say a 
verbal volley going on between Marcus <laughs> and I about our respective fields of study. And he he has accused yeah. historians of being very arrogant and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and of being unrepentant bullies. So, right? <laughs> well, I think, you know, Darren, it's not fair you're outnumbered because, of course, I side with Marcus in the, in the <laughs> Finally, Marcus, finally, an ally. Right? Well, but here's what I'll say. I mean, the interdisciplinarity of religious studies is such a gift because I think it gifts so many frameworks. I was just, you know, and Marcus, I'm always, it's always fun to find our way back into conversation. I'm sitting here with, you know, so many of my texts that, um, that came my way in the course of my studies at Emory. And I'm just mindful that it's helpful, though, to cross those disciplinary boundaries. You know, I'm, I'm just mindful of the, the gifts that Darren um, offers this class. He, he offered a segment in this seminar, too, on sort of the foundations of democracy. Mm-hmm. And I won't, I won't speak for Darren as to what he named, but I think it's helpful to pair what, for me, is always more theoretical and abstract because I find in the theoretical work, I find the pathway to that which has not yet been. Mm -hmm. And I think history feels to me so constraining, but I'm so glad to be in conversation with a historian who can bring up so much lived experience that also bears on both the present and the future. And so it's rich to get to work. And I see that as part of one of the major successes of your collaboration is that you can toggle across these, these lines in the sand and, and use the strengths of both disciplinary approaches to really, again, serve the purpose of this moment, which is to build community, to right. pause, to find our way to, to that which must be, and perhaps has yet to, has yet to be imagined. So well, yeah, Darren, that's my shout out. Foundations of democracy. I have to say quickly that you know that your your explanation of our collaborative work um, is, is so helpful because I've been asking myself, you know, why do I continue to subject myself to these boxing matches with this? <laughs> <laughs> but, but now I get it. So thank yeah. you, Meredith. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I have rationales for most things, Marcus. I'm yeah. I see. <laughs> Marcus, as, as Meredith was making that point, uh, Marcus, I was sitting here thinking, finally, we have someone in a room who can play that diplomatic role to bridge right. the divide between us. So, Meredith, <laughs> right. thank you for being here. I'm, I'm always convening, whether well, you know, you know or not. <laughs> Well, you know, Meredith, you, you've... You've addressed these, you know, the foundation stones of democracy, and I, and I want to go there to, to jump there really quick. But one of the things, you know, in the these four words, rest, reflection, reckoning and relationship, you know, Marcus landed on reckoning and relationship. You know, I was thinking about rest and reflection. And I, I can't, you know, you all pull me into this every single time on the show, as much as I try to avoid it. Um, you know, recently, it, this came up in an interview I gave with uh, John Boyle in the local newspaper here that um, we had a long conversation dealing with the Vance Monument. And and I couldn't help but reference Alexis de Tocqueville in that, uh, in the conversation with him. And then he went and put it in the newspaper. And that has, um, has, has been the source of a lot of notes from a lot of people, Marcus, saying, well, once again, you're referencing Alexis de Tocqueville, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I, when I look at that word rest, Meredith, I can't help but think of what Tocqueville said about Americans, and it seemed that there was this inability to even step back and rest. Do we, as a society, really need to 
to really think about what it means to even rest. I mean, what does that mean? So I'm curious to hear what, you know, what your thoughts are about that, especially since those were the framing words for this particular convening. And did people find that, you know, find that difficult to kind of engage even that the rest, the resting part of this? Well, I think rest hits squarely at one of the fallacies of American founding, you know, that that we are our, what we produce, you know, we are time is money, you know, capital at the core. It, it doesn't really leave a lot of room for rest um, as a value, right? And so it is true that the fellowship attempts to reclaim time and space and to really um, invite fellows to step into a, not so much a, a chronos way of experiencing time, sort of a clock-driven but experience, but a kairos time. Like what does it mean to really get into a different kind of time that affords the kind of space you need to really think deeply mm-hmm. and to use a word that you all named earlier in the conversation to pause. I think the ways in which this society works, and I use that in word intentionally, the way we work is deeply rooted into some of the founding, uh, what I call fallacies of this nation. Um, and, and doing anything other than working is always countercultural. Choosing to rest um, is, a, is an act of, I think, resistance and saying, my body matters beyond its production value, that is also political, I would posit. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it it sounds pithy, you know, here's our mm-hmm. four R words, you know, alliteration, it feels like, you know, a children's learning game, but there's some deep theoretical implications of choosing to center rest as a human right. I mean, again, this is a fellowship for human relations. It's It doesn't matter to me that only my fellows, these fellows, they're not mine, that fellows have an opportunity to rest. I posit that humans, humans deserve rest. Creation deserves rest, right? And so it's a modeling of a different kind of being that matters. And we use that language in the fellowship intentionally as well. What matters, right? With so much contemporary resonance, rest matters. You know, having the kind of rest to um, to be able to clear your mind, to remember, rest to me is absolutely a prerequisite for remembering, Mm. right? What kind of remembering do we need to do individually, collectively, nationally to actually find our way forward? It's going to take the kind of time that, that capitalist structures don't really hold room for. Mm. And that's why it's such a gift to be a fellowship of a retreat center that is by design kind of set apart from the constraints of the calendar. Of course, all of that, you know, gets a global pandemic disrupts all of those pieces, but that too is an, that too is a lesson and a teaching, right? Even, even the spaces that we're trying to safeguard for other ways of being, the fellowship is an invitation to formation. And I always want to stress that fellowship is a formative, should be a formative experience, much like a doctoral program, right? Like we learn new habits. That is my goal. I'm not here for a checkbox. I'm not here for busyness, y'all. Like the world has plenty of that, but give me a quality of being that gets underneath the systems that reign all day long, all day long. Even when we don't have time for it, that to me is the work of fellowship. Well, you're listening to the Waters and Harvey Show on Blue Ridge Public Radio. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back in just a moment.
Welcome back to the Waters and Harvey Show. Our guest today, again, is Dr. Meredith Duster, lead faculty and deputy director of the William C. Friday Fellowship for Human Relations. Meredith is also, she also manages the Sound Spirit Research Lab at Emory University's Center for Digital Scholarship. Marcus, let me turn it over to you because I noticed you had a question that you were ready, ready to ask. Uh, no, I, I was just wondering here um, about uh, so the, the four R's that Meredith mentioned. Um, I know also that Darren, you you uh, you spoke to this this group of fellows about uh, the foundations of democracy, mm-hmm. right? And so you mm-hmm. talked about what was justice, justice, order, uh, and liberty um, mm-hmm. as sort of bedrocks of the of at least of the American democratic ideal. You as sort of, sort of expert on the history of American democracy or so called <laughs> American <laughs> democracy. Um, but I'm but I'm, I'm I'm curious to hear Meredith from you um, and, and brother maybe from you as well. Are there other democratic principles that we might consider um, in addition to the three that you outlined um, and also in connection with the four themes that you lifted up earlier, Meredith, um, that might help us think even in even broader, um, more reflective terms about, about what it means to, um, I guess, exist in community or, or try to or be about the work of building not just community, but democratic community. Right. If if that question makes sense, um, I'm, I'm I'm thinking about that. You know, given what you all have said, said thus far. Right. And, and Meredith, I, I'll let you jump in here because Marcus named. I mean, this. I'll, I'll say I'll say this before you jump in mm-hmm. that this conversation that we had with the fellows around the cornerstones of democracy, you know, it led to a very interesting and I think a dynamic and engaging exchange on. Additional ideas, and the point that I did make is Ms. Meredith invited me to offer uh, my ideas of what I would see as the cornerstones of democracy being liberty, order, and justice. Um, I, you know, I made the point that these are the ones that I identify, and I know that there are others out there that people are thinking about. So it really engaged them in a way that I thought that perhaps without Meredith actually uh, putting this in the program as a part of what unfolded during that weekend that we were together, that we would have missed a really dynamic conversation without you having put this in there, Meredith. So let me let me let you respond to this. <clears throat> oh, I appreciate the question. And it was a rich moment. You know, so many things un- unfold in the context of a convening that um, that we really do safeguard to honor the the vulnerability we invite. And so there's we don't share all details here, but it was just a full it was a full um, weekend of engagement. And this particular conversation landed at a particular juncture of the weekend that was just poignant and held a lot of contradictions. And I so appreciate Darren's um, shared leadership in that moment. We did open the question to the fellows. And of course, all of this is happening by Zoom, much as our conversation is right now. And so it's been interesting to lean on what Zoom affords in terms of connection. And we invited fellows to use the chat after Darren shared his three pillars of of democracy uh, or this American democratic experiment um, and with the fellows. And they sh- they put a lot of their thoughts um, into the chat to just lift up what for them would be the, the pillars of this American democratic experiment. And it was a rich sort of smorgasbord of ideas, ideals, practices um, that span a lot of different things. And unfortunately, because of the constraints of virtual convening, we didn't capture all of those. But what I would lift up um, 
in, in terms of, you know, these foundational terms, you know, whether it's rest, reflection, reckoning and relationship, one of the pieces that we landed on later in the seminar weekend is just the radical quality and the radical invitation of love itself as a leadership and a relational approach. And there's a part of me that's curious. And so we spent a little bit of time thinking about what is it about this intersection of leadership and love is leadership an act of love. And what does that mean? I think there's a part of me that's curious about whether there is some intersection between a democratic experiment. You know, I don't want to go too far in understanding any part of this nation state as realized. I think that that, that cuts us off at our knees and uh, aren't we crawling right. And how humble we must be to, to see that, you know, at this stage in our collective history, um, but I am curious about what it might mean to really center love and in so doing to center um, relationship um, as part of this democratic um, unfolding. You know, I'm always struck democracy is not a system. I w- It's certainly part of my wheelhouse. I am an American citizen by birth, but I did spend my formative years in the dissolution of a socialist yeah, country. So, you know, I moved to the form, to former East Germany as a young child and back to the concept of formation. It was a moving experience. I wish I had been slightly older to really appreciate the significance of how much I was witnessing. But you want to tell me that regimes can't change. I can only point to my life story and say, well, yes, they can. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I watched it happen. And I think I'm, I talk a lot about capital and capitalism because I watched a global system of production come in and and take root in a space that had been governed by a different ideology. And so I think that, you know, when I look at what I'm looking for and this thing that gets lionized as, you know, the system we should all be fortunate enough to live under, I'm like, well, then like, show me the love, Mm -hmm. show me the humanity, Mm -hmm. show me where people, but also the fullness of a, a community or an ecosystem of care, show me where that is working and then I'll be glad to like join you in a conversation about, you know, the distance between an ideal and a practice. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Meredith, your, your emphasis on uh, the word love here, uh, brother, it, it reminds me of when you and I kind of started this kind of radio project, right, of doing this. You remember we, we used uh, a piece of music from um, oh, yeah. uh, the former uh, uh, artist, I mean, the late artist uh, who is Gerald Levert. And in Do I Speak for the World was his last album before he he passed away. And we, we've talked about that album a lot, but that album was his most, uh, probably his best album. I mean, he made a real social statement in that album. And he has this monologue in there where Cornel West is speaking and West uh, in, in West in the lead into the song that you and I used, uh, Crucify Me, you know, Wes said this, and Meredith, you saying that reminded me of what Wes said. You cannot lead the people if you don't love the people. You cannot serve the people if you, you cannot ser- save the people if you do not serve the people. And so I think that, you know, this is something for us to kind of, to really think about. Now, I, it, thinking about these cornerstones of democracy, and and it, as we think about the last few minutes uh, of this conversation that we're having here, I'd like to talk about that word justice for a second, yeah, because I think this go. word. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> go ahead, Mark. No. I'm going to say, you know, I wanna, yeah, <laughs> yeah. What, what is it that we mean? And I'm thinking for me, I see that as a cornerstone because it's in our Constitution. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so, Marcus, I have been deeply and Meredith as well 
deeply troubled by what it seems to me to be this surface, our very rudimentary uh, engagement with this particular word and what it means. We It's just a passing thing, but I think we need to think about it in a much more deep way uh, if it is a cornerstone of what we say our democracy is. Brother, yeah, let me and, 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 and before we hear from you, Meredith, because I'm really curious, interested in, in, in getting your take on this, but you know, I, I find these three cornerstones of democracy ironic, right? Highly ironic. Um, uh, uh, justice order uh, and liberty, because brother, I'm, I'm sure as you would, as you would agree, um, you know, if we consider the era of the so-called founding fathers, uh, the first and third of those, of those cornerstone principles, justice and liberty, uh, were not available to everyone. In mm-hmm. fact, only certain people were eligible for justice and liberty, namely those, those, with, those with the capacity to own land, mm-hmm. educate themselves, and then govern. And then those lacking in these things were subject to being ordered right, right, by right. those who were capable uh, or those who were eligible for justice and liberty. And That's so right. I marvel at the at the irony embedded in these in these so-called democratic cornerstones, because mm-hmm. I really can't point to to a single episode. And brother, maybe 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 I'm, I'm overlooking something here, but I can't point to a single episode in American history where these three so-called democratic cornerstones have been enacted. Mm-hmm. In a way that has that has spanned the American populace, right, right, um, um, in in a more or less equitable way. So, <laughs> yeah. so anyway, I'm I'm thinking about those cornerstones and and yep. what you just said and what Meredith said earlier. So I'm I'm curious to get to to, to hear your take on on. This. Yeah, and I want to so let Meredith because Meredith seems poised to really, <laughs> this, and I want her to do that. And, and brother, I, and one and one of the reasons I think that this is appropriate for us to discuss right now is because I believe we are now at a moment in our nation's history as a community and the conversations that we're having, and especially around another R word, which we'll throw in here, the word reparations. Engagement with this idea of justice is going to be something that I think we're forced to kind of reckon with. You know, I'm using I'm using Meredith's words all over the place here, <laughs> reckon and reparations, and I think they're they're all fitting here. And I want to, and I just want to say here too, Marcus, about the people who have been ordered. If we look at the early American Republic, who have been ordered. We think about African-Americans here, but I also think about the gendered nature of this. I think about women who were not allowed to own property or were in many ways, if you look at the law, especially in the Deep South, in the antebellum period, women were the properties of the property of their husbands. So, this, you know, it's this conversation has many levels to it, but Meredith, let me let you jump in here. Okay. <laughs> I think it's important to, to honor that disagreement and difference matters, right? So I appreciate that as a historian, Darren, we all know that Darren appreciates Alexis de Tocqueville's offerings, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is one of the things I appreciate. And I think that um, I would land more with Marcus' critique of those I, sort of founding spaces. But one of the things we did with our fellows in seminar two was really to hold space for the the place and the power of belief itself. So the fellows moved through sort of a four-part convening um, to really lift up, again, like the foundation of belief itself. Belief is another foundation of this country. Like, what do you believe? Like, I believe, you know, 
the founding mythologies. When I think about inviting fellows to think deeply about their belief systems, it is not divorced from inviting them to think about the mythologies of nation states, right? These two things are, are connected and it requires sometimes hearing how your beliefs relate to someone else's lived experience to really recognize where and how the the work of belief shows up in in the world and so we had fellows sharing some essays they wrote about what they believe this i believe following a wonderful public history project they then later in the weekend spent some time really listening deeply and sort of following a guide that raised the question this i believe how about you and really what you both just did model that beautifully. Darren named his three pillars of democracy. And Marcus, you said, well, if that's what you believe, but like, this is what I would then posit or counter. And we do not have enough models of that kind of exchange. It matters that Darren still holds to founding ideals of this nation. There needs to be a place for that. It matters that there is a robust critique of those same ideals. And it matters that we find our way into conversations that are big enough and generous enough and rooted in the kind of relationships that can, can sustain that kind of critique. And Marcus, you know, as, a co- as a fellow scholar of religion, like belief is material. And when uh, we talk about reparation, like belief is not ephemeral. It is material. Right. And so when we get into talking about reparations, like it matters how people are formed and shaped formation. That is also a political act. And so when I think about the the systemic response that we need to take up the complexity of reparations, it is part and parcel of, again, that could have been one of the R words that we included. But in my mind, two years later, if if fellows stay the course and rest and reflect and reckon in the context of relationship, mm-hmm. I posit that that could be one, one branch of reparation in this experiment of American democracy, which doesn't foreclose or minimize the desperate need for material compensation on the back of this history, right? But I think that material compensation alone is not adequate because the system is bigger than the capital itself. Yeah, and Meredith, that was a, that was a perfect segue because I was I was just going to ask you the question of well, what of the, repara- the reparations question? Um, I, I think I'll ask you to to or, or give space for you to elaborate even more. But but I would just say um, that when it comes to reparations, you know, I I, I do on the one hand I do agree that um, it it needs to involve a broader sort of reckoning process, right? For for the health of of the black community and perhaps even for the health of the country. Um, 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 but on another level, I also agree with Charles Blow, who says, uh, you know, look, um, I'm a check person. You know, cut me a check. For me, you right. know, reparations is about material compensation that, I, that, that, that you cannot tell me how to utilize. Right? right. Cut me a check and I will spend it in a way that I see fit. But um, but yeah, I'm just curious to hear if, if you have more to add, Meredith, about this, um, this, this journey toward reparations or this journey of reparations which, you know, for decades now, if not longer, the country has been studiously, or our our politicians for the most part uh, in Congress have been studiously avoiding, right? Despite the fact that... um, that some efforts have been made uh, to 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 formally investigate this question, right, of reparations. But Meredith, yeah. yeah, there's so much that we could say here. And again, I think you know when I think about the concept of relations in re- in relation to the larger nation state model, you know, 
I think across the globe, we can look at where, where and how nation states often lead to the need for reparation, right? Like they are political entities of erasure, right? And so those communities and peoples are deserving of of the capital on which, you know, these spaces were built. And so I'm here for the check writing. And I think we have seen in this stimulus moment that this country is capable of writing checks with a quickness, right? So that argument has fallen by way. We have figured out how to send a whole lot of checks to a lot of people pretty quickly. So perhaps that will, you know, you never know what a global pandemic might afford. But I think I'm just mindful that I see here too a related question that I would love if we had more time, we would land there. Like, I'm curious about the intersection of the consideration of monuments and taking down monuments in relation to questions and considerations of reparation, right? Because memorializing particular kinds of cultures, you know, you take away the public facing um, sort of proper object, but that culture is still alive and well in every other space. Mm-hmm. And I think about, and again, it's not at all to um, to take away from the efforts to take down monuments or to write that check. Again, action, uh, actions often speak louder mm-hmm. than words. As an educator and someone who lived in, country, in a country where the statues just kept coming down and they replaced them with a statue and like, oh, we can't put that one up either because it was from another era. We need to get a different statue. Like I've seen. But we also know in a country where, again, my formative years were spent, where Germany did a a really reasonable job educating its future generations about being complicit in genocide, right? Like, how do you teach that as a cultural reality? And here's what I can say, you know, neo-Nazism, extremist behavior and ideology is alive and well in Germany. So I think as a global community, much broader than the like the myopic space of the North American reality. I'm curious about what it takes to really get underneath the full system um, and to repair, to repair in addition to not in addition to um, the material um, mm-hmm. space, because I think the re-education and I don't need anyone to wait for their check until we've re-educated people. I don't think that's the order. I think the order of things matters. I'm just curious about what happens. We also know that capitalist systems like to throw money at things and think we've done the work. And I'm curious about what happens if that is the sole solution and there aren't other broader systems in place to keep moving moving the needle toward justice. Right. Well, we want to thank you again, Merida, for being here with us today. This has been a, a really deep conversation. We're going to be coming back to this conversation, brother, around reparations in, in later shows. And, and so that watch for those conversations to be coming. But as we end this show, as we always do, Marcus and I want to remind you that the Waters and Harvest Show is produced at Blue Ridge Public Radio in Asheville, North Carolina, in partnership with the Institute for the Promotion of Human Understanding. And you you can listen to our podcast on BPR.org, the BPR and NPR One mobile apps, and on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Follow us and get in touch on Facebook and Twitter, or you can write us at whshow at bpr.org. And as always, we're going to look forward to hearing from you. And Meredith, thank you again for being here. Thanks oh, so thank much, you Meredith. Both. Thank you. All right. All right.